I'm Kirsty Gillen. And I'm Laura Farlin. We are the AHSS Digital Learning Team. Welcome to our AHSS Digital Learning Coffee Break podcast series. And one of the things that has been a very common principle and a very common theme around no matter who it is that we're talking to or who it is that we're working with and teaching is that in order to maximize learning opportunities, we need to reduce barriers to learning and we need to make sure that the pedagogical principles that we are using are accessible, they are usable, and that they are kind of very tailored for individual needs. The digital learning team are joined by Tracy Galvin, Jamie Parlin, and Jennifer Roberts as they talk about universal design in the curriculum, what it means to them, and where do they see UDL in the future? So thanks for joining. Um, we just want to ask you to introduce yourselves and what your role is in the university. So Jen, if you want to start. Hi, I'm Jen. I'm a digital learning consultant in CED in Queens. Hi everyone. My name is Tracy Galvin and I'm an education developer in the Centre for Educational Development. Hello, I am Jennifer Roberts. I am a lecturer in the School of Social Sciences, Education and Social Work. Um, and I work primarily on teacher education programs within the school. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming today to talk about UDL in the curriculum. I suppose just to start, there are probably a lot of people who don't fully understand what UDL is, or even if they do, it may mean differently compared to someone else. So it would be great to hear what UDL means to each of you. So Tracy, if we could start with you first. Yeah. Um... For me, universal design for learning, which is commonly known as UDL, um, it's an approach that uh, you can take as an educator um, and use this framework that has three principles, um, engagement, um, representation, and action and expression. And in each one of those principles, it really focuses on the teaching, learning, and assessment. And it's all about every learner having the opportunity to succeed. And what's really nice about UDL, it provides a flexible framework. Um, it encourages you to embed student choice. Um, you have to think about things like different ways that you can assess your learners, different ways that you can engage them, and think about the content and the design, how you design the content and is it accessible? So it thinks about a number of things across your teaching, learning and assessment. And the framework is very flexible where you can um, increase your knowledge base or you can just dip in or you can dip out. Um, but the whole overall aim is for the learners um, to become expert learners. And that's true scaffolding their learning, uh, thinking about their self-regulation, so how they can manage their learning progression. Um, and it's widely used uh, globally at this stage, and it continues to um, increase awareness around uh, with educators um, from, you know, it started off in the States. Um, it's become very common across Europe and in the global South. Um, and then I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it for there for now. That's great, Tracy. Thank you. And Jen? Yeah, so I think um, UDL for me is just kind of to sort of just build on what Tracy said, it's just a really useful set of principles and a framework that supports thinking about your teaching practice and how you're going to support learners to learn. And I think there is maybe a shift in the way that we can use it to think about more inclusive practice, to think about the fact that 
learners are different. We have a diverse population of um, a student cohort that anybody is, is dealing with at one particular time and to focus on the fact that there is that degree of learner variability and how we can maybe think of really practical things to do to support that learner variability um, and to I suppose think of our focus being a bit more student-centered as well and thinking about giving some choice to the learners um, and freeing up a bit of space in the way that we design to actually give it back over to the learners and to help them learn how to learn as well. Yeah, um, I think I've been very lucky in my teaching career that I started off teaching children who were very young and then I began teaching um, children and young people who were slightly older and now I am teaching teachers who are all kind of adults. And one of the things that has been a very common principle and a very common theme around no matter who it is that we're talking to or who it is that we're working with and teaching is that in order to maximize learning opportunities, we need to reduce barriers to learning and we need to make sure that the pedagogical principles that we are using are accessible, that they are usable, and that they are kind of very tailored for individual needs. Um, and for me, um, all of that notion of good teaching and good pedagogy um, is very much embedded in that kind of UDL framework and resources and strategy. And I think it's a way for us to begin to think about how can we best maximise learning opportunities and how can we as teachers, as educators, as lecturers, how can we make sure that the people who are sitting in front of us are learning what we want to want them to learn, but in a way that is that makes sense to them. Um, so I think it's that really kind of useful way of putting the learner at the centre of everything, but also allowing us as teachers to really think about what the learner needs and how we can make sure that they're getting and those needs met. And, you know, UDL, Universal De Design for Learning, incorporates so, so many things, so many aspects, and um, when maybe done properly, it's it's incorporated into everything and the, the very essence of your teaching. Um, so it could be very overwhelming. I wonder what, what would your advice be to kind of break that down for staff? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because very often when I talk to teachers or, or PGCE students here at Queen's about UDL, I often joke that um, my discussions in UDL are a disappointment for them because what they want me to say is this is exactly what you need to do and here are you know 10 easy bullet points that you need to follow when in reality that's not really what the UDL principles are about you know it really is a much more um, centered look that begins at the very kind of starting point um, of a course or of a series of lessons or of a series of sessions so I suppose in order to begin I think for most people, it's about looking at their good practice, looking at what they're currently doing and beginning to kind of nearly have that kind of stock take and think about, well, what am I doing that is currently really accessible? Am I providing multiple modes of communication? Am I um, allowing students to have an element of choice in the way that they access um, some of the teaching materials that I'm giving? Am I really structuring and scaffolding what I'm talking about really neatly to make sure that students are on board as they move through and as the learning kind of progresses and gets more difficult and for the most part I think for the majority of people who are new to UDL once they kind of begin to take that stock take it can really help them 
see where, you know, see the really good practice that they're already doing. Yeah, I like I like that, you know, reflecting on what, what you're already doing, because you probably are by kind of the nature of of how you approach students and and that sort of thing. So um, using what you already have and then and filtering that into more more aspects of your your teaching. Yeah. Um, Jen or, or Tracy, what advice would you have for for staff from your perspective in, in your roles within CED? So for me, I suppose, just like Jen mentioned earlier about learner variability, our staff are exactly the same. No two staff members learn the same way or consume information the same way. So I would equally say, you know, for having choice for them, the really nice thing about the framework is that it is flexible. So you often hear um, from staff, I just don't, I don't have time or if I do have time, I have 20 minutes. So, you know, think about your own context. Think about, you know, is your focus on, I have large groups in lecture theatres. How do I engage my learners? You know, is it, uh, I'm having the same issues every term um, with a particular type of assessment? And think about that. There's a really nice book, uh, Reach Everyone, Teach Everyone um, from Thomas Tobin and um, Kirsten. And, both of them, you know, really focus on this plus one approach. And I think um, it was Jennifer earlier who said about sometimes the framework can, can be a bit overwhelming. So if you break it down and when they're talking about the plus one approach, that they, they encourage you to go to the framework and pick one area. So you're the expert, you have the historical data around what are the issues and challenges you face as an educator every term. So you, you identify what that is and you go in and you look in the framework, well, what will help me? here from the three principles um, that can assist me in increasing my knowledge and awareness um, and focus in on that and really try to um, minimize the barriers. And that's a really nice way. It's called the plus one approach. And I've uh, basically, you know, provided one to one support with a number of academics and that and it has been very um, successful. Um, I would also say around support and staff, there's a huge amount of books, resources, articles, like start, you know, reviewing what areas interest. So if you are, if you have a significant number of international students, um, there's a lot of research, uh, the framework around um, culturally sustainable pedagogy, responsible pedagogy. So I, I would look into those, you know, um, basically read these articles. There's a lot of um, resources on the CED website. We have a working group, um, a UDL working group that we continuously develop. Um, design a number of resources. So maybe reach out to that group if you're interested in UDL. So there's a lot of things happening within the university um, and a number of, um, you know, it's constantly more and more academics becoming aware through the various um, programs and courses that we're designing online that's underpinned by UDL. So, you, you know, it won't be new to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, if it is new to you, definitely go to the library. There's a lot of books in there. I made sure there's a lot of UDL books um, and look online. That's a couple of suggestions I'd make. Brilliant. And we'll definitely link to those resources and, and your one-to-one -one support as well in the podcast notes. Um, I guess I would just come in at the end of that just to say that um, the only other bit of advice that I could give staff around all of this is that I think lots of people kind of naturally think about designing their courses, redesigning their courses, and especially this year, or maybe thinking about redesigning it with a kind of a blended learning lens and how they're going to um, 
you know, plan and support uh, teaching and learning in a slightly different way than they even did last year. So there's lots of change and things are, 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 are quite uncertain still maybe about how they're going to go about that. But I think one of the biggest things that I could suggest in terms of a tip and sort of thinking about it from a UDL perspective is we often think about designing for our students, what, what we're designing content for our students, designing resources, designing events, designing activities. But I think it's maybe a good idea to leave a bit of gap and think about how we can design some of this with our students rather than designing it for them. Um, and I think that, you know, we want to try to encourage a sense of student partnership and promote student voice. And I think where we can do that and kind of cultivate the sense of, of a really active learning community where we're all learning together and where students feel like they have some autonomy and some say and some choice in how they shape their, their learning and, and that they're sort of responsible for getting involved. And I think that's a really good way of, of trying to do that and I think like I go back to when I did my PTCE and we had to plan our lessons to the nth minute and kind of have everything planned really really um, tightly you know so everything was we big lever arch files full of lesson plans and everything was really tight but I think it's maybe a good idea just to leave a little bit of space um, and a little bit of, of, of um, allow yourself to sort of take back that sense of control a little bit and let the let the learners in the driving seat where possible. Difficult to do all the time, but I think if you can try, it's a good idea. Yeah, I like that. We um and we've seen um just some really nice examples of of that student voice within modules. Um we'll we'll link to uh a recording and, and a live event that we're we're hosting on uh co-design. Well, there's a couple of events coming up, so we'll we'll definitely link to that. But just what you said there, Jen, made me wonder with the with the shift to online teaching and learning. Do you th and this is open open to anybody? Do you think that that has helped incorporate UDL or or hindered it or a bit of both? I think in terms of flexibility, I think the term flexibility for a lot of people kind of, it can be a bit scary. And, you know, maybe initially when people, you know, often said, look, I'm just, you know, this technology, this, you know, blended learning, flipped classrooms, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I maybe might dip in and dip out. But I over the past two years, really no one had the choice the choice was taken away really from everybody, from learners, from educators, from admin staff, from everybody. So everybody had to be more flexible. Now, of course, there's loads of people who are, have always been flexible and adaptable, and but this really pushed people out of their comfort zones. And actually the, the desire to learn and, and to become more knowledgeable about so many things so quickly really just people just spiraled like you know and and everybody pulled together and you could see free conferences sharing resources all these things and hopefully that type of stuff will continue sharing practice like you know people in schools that probably never collaborated on anything or across teams had to collaborate like there was just you couldn't do it on your own you had to reach out so I really think actually that is everything what UDL represents so even you know uh, I can't remember who it was in the States called it accidental UDL. Like, what did you do? What was your accidental UDL over the pandemic? Because a lot of people fell into it and didn't even know. And they're now saying, okay, you know, I, I learned a lot from, from this experience and I, I will continue to do this. So, so I do think actually 
yeah, this has opened up. So even I think becoming more aware, like, okay, I do inclusive assessment or I, you know, I embed inclusive assessment in, in, you know, in my module, I um, dipped into co-design, but now I'm going to really go to true partnership and I'm going to, you know, co-design the rubrics. I'm going to, you know, embed it into every weekly session, make sure there's time for them for, for not just the output and product, but the process, the learning process, learning progression is so important. And people have, started to think about things in a different way than they've ever thought about them before. So I think in terms of flexibility, choice, uh, you know, I really think that has come to the fore for, for a number of educators. And I really hope that that continues well into the, into the future. I think online, that whole notion of collaboration and community has really changed. Um, I've taught an entirely online course now for the last kind of four years and as the course is online and students are dotted around the globe, one of the things that has been very firmly embedded in that course from the start is this notion of kind of fostering collaboration and making sure that we have that kind of very sound learning community. And because the students weren't in the same room, that had to be explicitly planned for, it had to be explicitly nearly embedded into those first kind of number of weeks of the course. So we kind of have that very in this kind of central part of the course at the very beginning where we were really fostering that community and really making and listening to students as they worked through. And very often that kind of notion of accidental UDL, those things happen in a learning classroom because as soon as a you know, if you're face to face, as soon as you begin to say, well, let's go and have lunch or let's have a break, people are automatically forming those relationships and kind of creating those little learning clusters as they move through. And I think the notion that a collaborative space needs to be planned for and needs to be explicitly built into a kind of course content and that those are really really important learning experiences for students i think that notion of collaboration is something that really is really important and i think hopefully will stay and what i find really interesting is that every year when we have all these discussions you know students then are able to come back and say well i think it would really work better if you did this or is there any way? So, you know, a, a couple of years ago, um, we released, or we were releasing content, we were releasing our weekly content on a Monday morning and students said, actually, is there any way we could have this content released on a Friday afternoon? Because it means that I can plan my work. I can make sure that I'm getting the best out of the material. I can really plan my time better. Um, it, it, it would remove my barriers to learning essentially it makes learning easier for me if that course content can be delivered you know can be released so you know yeah that's fine we went went as a team we worked through all of the intricacies of what that would and we were able to kind of do that now it was a very small change but for those students it really represented that notion of a collaborative learning community where they felt valued their ideas were part of what we were doing you know and um, and i think that's a really important thing that's come out of this kind of blended and online learning learning sessions. And I think that's really important as well, because I think the fact that a lot of learning last year because of the pandemic was delivered or designed to be more asynchronous, that it gave students a lot more choice over, over the pace, over the place and over the path of their learning. And I think that was a really important thing in terms of flexibility and choice for students. And I think in terms of going forward into more of a blended um, approach, I think that should stay the same. You know, I think a lot of um, content and activities and resources should be available 
um, for students asynchronously and they should be allowed to to work through that at their own time where possible and then staff really should be thinking about how they use their synchronous sessions and their live interactions with students to support uh, that learning and to create that sense of community as well so I, th- I feel like it has done um it has done lots for UDL in terms of people's practice whether it's intentional or, or otherwise but and I just hope it continues and, and and that people can kind of build on on the lessons learned from last year and, and bring it in uh, now for this coming academic term. Yeah no that, that's really good advice Um, it'd be great to sort of know some practical tips um, that staff could take and to incorporate uh, UDL into their content and resources for this year. Um, would anyone um, like to give some of uh, advice on what they can do there? I think one of the most important things here is to know your students and to talk to your students. You know, um, as an educator, you really want to be well, I do, and I want to be down there in the thick of things, really working with the students, making sure that you have a well-designed course that includes lots of opportunities for questioning, lots of opportunities for clarification. That when you're kind of that what of learning, you know, what is it that you're teaching and what is it that students are learning and how are you doing that? So learning should never be done by you know someone standing on a stage and you know talking at you for hours and hours and hours because we know that that's not the best way for students to understand retain or use information so i think it's really about thinking about well what other things can i include here can i use technology to do something a little bit different that might help students in a different way can i ensure that i am you know scaffolding information so that they can understand all the kind of steps that they're moving through. Um, So I think that's something that is really important, especially for educators as they're beginning to think about UDL. Yeah, I think just to, you know, build on Jennifer's point, I think when you think about UDL, I mean, if I was to say anything, it's about maximizing learning and minimizing barriers. And that's really important to remember. So we really have to shift and move away from a one size fits all approach. So if you are doing the same thing that you've been doing for the past five to 10 years, and you have assumptions and biases about certain groups of students, and you, you know, don't change your design, you don't change your activities, there aren't much activities, then really the people who are being failed here are the learners. So. The whole aim is to have an accessible, inclusive um, learning environment where everybody has the opportunity to succeed. So you have to celebrate diversity um, and learner variability. You have to you know, immediately make a lot of assumptions that you will have international students, you will have mature students, you will have parents, you will have um, students with disabilities, you'll have a lot of students who won't disclose any type of disability. And you have to cater for all of their learning needs. And so rather than, I think, giving a, a specific tip, I think really, if, if there was any message, it would be to move away from a one size fits all approach and to really think, you know, a lot broader um, around inclusion, diversity, equity and accessibility. And if you, if you have that mindset and sometimes it's difficult to shift a mindset, especially if you come from a traditional style um, of teaching 
or, you know, or you're not even used to the Northern Ireland context in terms of, of the way schools function and the way higher ed functions, it would just be to think about that equity lens. That's, that's a suggestion I would have. Some of Tracy and I conversations on the past on UDL have been major saying, Tracy, we'll give it a go. Let's give it a go and try it, you know, and I think that's um, really important in teaching and learning, you know, um, not everything you try in the classroom is going to work brilliantly and that's fine you know that's part of being a teacher we we don't want to be stagnant we don't want to be doing the same thing all the time so um it's very so many of tracy and i's conversations end with one or both of us saying we'll give it a go let's try it let's think about it you know and that's i think really linked to lots of the things that we're talking about here it's about you know well what could i do could this be a really good way to Peak, in, peak engagement, peak enthusiasm to help people kind of engage with this content in a kind of new and, you know, more robust way. Yeah, there's a UDL guru, Katie Novak, um, in America, and a really common kind of phrase that she uses um, for learners when it's basically saying it's so important for learners to fail. It's so important, but it's equally important for educators to fail and feel safe to fail. So she has this uh, phrase that she uses where she says, not there yet. And that's okay. Like, there's nobody expecting you to, oh, I, I read something about UDL, now I need to know everything. No, the whole idea about the framework is that it's flexible. You dip in, you dip out. So, you know, you're just not there yet, but as small steps, you know, and you just build on that every term. Okay, that worked. It didn't work. I'll try something different. Okay, now I'm going to focus on another area like fostering collaboration. You know, now I'm going to make my assessment more authentic and thinking about small steps. I'm going to include learner voice a little bit more. Focus on different things at different times. Do not try to do too many things. So just think about that. I'm not there yet. And that's okay. Yeah, no, I was just because um, you specifically asked for real practical examples, just in terms of, um, you know, our institutional BLE and the use of Canvas, I think it's maybe worth saying that, you know, on a very practical level in terms of providing multiple means of representation for information or for, for content, for resources, that that can seem quite an overwhelming thing to do, to have to create multiple versions of the same things that are accessible and, and um, more inclusive for everyone. But I think we do... Um, have a good resource there in our accessibility toolkit that supports staff and how to design um, more accessible resources from the outset, which is um, great. But we also have uh, the Blackboard Ally integration that helps you have a look at your course content and review and make changes. But um, we also have, I think it's more important this year than ever before, we also have alternative formats for students, uh, which means that if you have an accessible version of a document or accessible content in Canvas, students can have a look and download that as an audio file or, or in HTML or a format that would suit them better. And I think it's important to signpost that to students and let them know that that's available. And there's also an integration at the moment in Canvas Pages for Microsoft's Immersive Reader, which is really useful and can be particularly useful, not just for students with um, dyslexia or various other um, uh, additional needs, but also international students. And and, uh, and I think unless we signpost it and make it and make them aware that it's there, um, sometimes the, the opportunity is lost for the, 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 uh, the value that that can bring to their learning experience online as well. So it's just, I think in terms of practice, steps that's maybe something to take forward so 
There's another resource, sorry, myself and um, Jen worked on over a year ago. Uh, we started with the accessibility um, series and we, we tried to think about, this was in the middle of the emergency shift online and we were really trying to think about like what is the most benefit staff can get or what guidance will support them in their learning really quickly about accessibility because we were not alone going through a pandemic, but we also had the digital accessibility legislation compliance, which some really, you know, got involved and some just said, I can't deal with this right now, which, you know, was all across the UK and Ireland. Um, and it was, you know, timing wise, I mean, it was never going to change. It was coming into law for a number of, uh, number of years. So we were just thinking, right, what we do educators deliver content like what are the four main areas and it was text documents powerpoints uh visuals and obviously videos because that was the really you know where people probably learned the most over the past two years so we we broke that down we were thinking about right we're thinking about accessibility and accessibility of course is a is a key part of udl but it is absolutely not equal to udl it is one part of the udl framework that's really important to remember um but we were thinking about accessibility. So what we did is we developed the series and it's in the digital um, accessibility blog post, which is open source. Um, and in there, we thought about, right, let's think about a, an academic who has five minutes, who has two minutes or who has 10 minutes because everybody was time constrained at that moment. And we were really trying to, to, to think about that and support them in their learning. So we basically, and keep me right, um, Jen, we, so if you had 10 minutes, we say, read the blog post. So there was a lot of information in there and, and linking out to other sources. And then if you had only two minutes, we um, put together a short video. And then basically, if you had literally 10, 20 seconds, we did an infographic. So that's multiple means of representation. So that's providing different. So if I'm a if I'm somebody who I want to visually see something straight away, I look at the probably the poster. If I'm someone who, who likes to listen, um, you know, maybe I, I'll watch the video because you know. And, and of course, the the infographic we put a link to an audio file as well. Um, and then if you had a bit longer and you actually prefer to read, then you had the, the blog post or you can look at all three. You got all the information from everything, but depending on how much time you had, that's that's how. So we tried to do that. And, and I suppose trying to showcase good practice at the same time that this is something Now we're not saying this is what you should do for every piece of content. That's absolutely impossible. That is not what it's about. But if you have something that maybe every term, there's a difficult concept there's difficult theory. There's just something that students really, really struggle with. That is an area where I would focus in on to try different, try to develop some type of content. And and our educators are really trying to be encouraged to promote their own resources now, rather than always looking for third party resources. Because a lot of times when you use some type of PDF, which can often be inaccessible, um, and it'll produce a really low score in Blackboard Ally. We are trying to encourage our own educators to develop their own um, open education resources. So that's something to, to think about as well. That's fantastic. Um, and yeah, again, we'll, we'll link to all of those resources and training on the, on the use of the likes of Blackboard Ally and um, everything in the podcast notes. Final question, what or where, where do you see and where do you hope to see UDL in, say, 10 years time? Because I realize that those might be two different things. So for me, 
the really nice thing about so so when any type of you know educational theory and you know and people in education still draw from theory you know that's 30 40 50 years old and you know these people have long passed or, or you know and the theory doesn't necessarily change and the, the nice thing about um UDL it's drawn from neuroscience cognitive science psychology educational theory so it's it takes everything into consideration and I suppose the really nice thing is that it, it's constantly shifting and changing because our society, our learners are changing. Like if you think about learners only 10 years ago, the, the demographics are very different to what it is now, especially in higher education. A lot of people were ex excluded. Uh, that's I can't use any other words. They were excluded for a number of reasons. And because they didn't have the support structures, we are advancing constantly. But our, our learners are changing all the time. And they're going to be different learners now, like in 10 years time, five years time than they are now. So the nice thing about the framework is that they take this into consideration. So it's already changed. Um, you know, it's, the current framework is 2.0 and it's changing to 3.0, which is much more around um, equity. And they call it UDL rising to equity. And there's a lot of consultation going on uh, globally, trying to draw from key stakeholders across all education sectors. And they're really trying to draw out um, the equity lens in, you know, across culture, across anti-racism, um, really trying to, you know, ensure that the voice of underrepresented groups like Indigenous um, or Black and Brown learners. So, you know, they're really driving this, the framework forward. It's not a static framework. And that's something that I, I really like about it. So I'm very excited to see what 3.0 um, does bring and how they'll make the framework even more explicit. And they're really thinking about language at the moment because, you know, this framework started um, in, 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 this, in the United States, but globally people, you know, across all education sectors are using it. So they're really thinking about the language that will support um, all educators. And they're thinking about the responsibility because often people in, uh, in the framework think it's the educator's responsibility. And what I really like about what I'm hearing and the shift um, that they're really calling out systemic inequalities and they're really calling out that the learner has a responsibility, administration have a responsibility, um, like everybody, everybody who is involved in the learner from the person who is the estates person, who is the, f the first person who meets you, the people working in the international office, we all have a responsibility to make sure um, UDL is embedded into all our practices. You know, when you're designing and organizing an event, from for everything. So so it's really widening to think about the big wider concept and the systemic inequalities that exist and, and drawing from leadership and management uh, there as well. So I'm really liking what I'm hearing about the move and the shift forward. And I'm very excited to see what happens with that. And I would agree with that, just and, and just say that um, I am kind of in the next five to 10 years, hoping that it becomes much more of a it becomes much more embedded into the way that we plan and we design and we review our curriculum and um, our, even at a module level, but at a program level as well. I think that's it's really important to even think about that and how that works. Um, and I guess just, I suppose one thing is that I think it's like, it's probably important to mention, especially in this kind of a space is that UDL does have its critics. You know, there are critics out there who will, you know, sort of, reflect on the lack of evidence base for all of this you know but it's a very difficult thing to find evidence for and um, a lot of you know subjective and um, feedback from learners um which probably wouldn't 
um, maybe have the weight, for example. But I think if we can come up with ways to generate more of an evidence base to show how it really does have an impact, I think that's a really important thing for the future, because I think only through that will it become more accepted um, in terms of how it's fully embedded into the culture and into the decision making at um, higher levels as well. Yeah, and I think um, for me in educator and teacher education, we always talk about this kind of triad of theory, research and policy, and then the movement of that towards practice. Um, and as Tracy said, we have lots of kind of educational theory, which has been really kind of drawn together to make this framework. Um, so there are lots of theoretical principles there, which are well established and pedagogically in education, which have kind of been put together in this um, in these guidelines. Um, beginning to focus then on research, what do we know that works for learners in the classroom and how can we make sure that that's embedded as we move through? Um, policy, we can see in policy that the principles of kind of child-centeredness in education, the kind of notion of kind of the holistic development of the childhood young person are kind of very much embedded and threaded through the curricula that we can see for young people, particularly in Northern Ireland. And I think though those will most definitely then be influencing practice um, as we move through kind of the next decade or so, because it is always that kind of notion of how does practice, um, how is it influenced by the things that kind of come before it and sometimes come after it? And I think we are at a time now when we do have lots of kind of the notion of well-being is very established within education, the notion of kind of holistic development. And if we even think about that kind of you know, theoretical principles of need and you know students aren't able to kind of actualize learning until those kind of basal needs around barriers are met and they're able to kind of um, be part of a classroom. And so I think all of those things really are feeding into a framework, which really does take into account lots of these principles. So I think it'll be really interesting to see in the next 10 years, how it is explicitly um, addressed in curricula and in teaching programs and in schools and universities and in, in universities, but also how it's kind of accidentally addressed and you know, how or developing pedagogy um, fits in or perhaps doesn't fit in with this notion of kind of barriers and reducing barriers to learning to maximize opportunity. Thank you so much, everybody, for your insight and, and your advice and real practical tips, which, which are just fantastic. So thank you so much.